Elvis. Dear Young Rocker is a production of iHeartRadio and Double Elvis Productions. Dear Young Adult Rocker, you're a bit older than when I last left you. 24 now. So let's start with a short update on where you've been. Your first job out of college seemed like it was going to be a dream come true. Working on a documentary film about rock and roll and revolution. But a combination of factors made it end up feeling more like a nightmare that would never end. And thus you returned to anxiety medication for a while. The one good thing from that experience, besides more lessons, was that you ended up living in Boston because of it. A switch to being a barista was just what you needed. You went from no co-workers to being part of a community of creative people, and you felt like you had a life of your own for the first time in a while. This happened simultaneously to the band you started playing in in the last episode but I couldn't fit it all in in 30 minutes. You also made some mistakes. Let's be polite and call them romantic ones. Mainly letting a certain ex you should never have talked to again sweet talk you into meeting up with him a few times. He did this by playing the I still love you card, despite him having a new girlfriend and no intentions of ever getting back together. You described it to your friends as a casual hookup situation, to sound in control of it, but you knew deep down your feelings were being manipulated and you were being used. There were also some similarly ill-advised hookups, including those with coffee shop customers, other employees, and that one notorious one with a man wearing an American Gladiators outfit. Yeah. You wondered for a little while if this tear you went on was some kind of real problem in your life, but no, you were just young, free, and cute. While living this bohemian barista life, as your mom referred to it, you continued to play in Phil's band for a while and started your MFA program in creative writing at Emerson. Somehow, you found out about a place called Girls Rock Camp Boston and you knew immediately that you needed to volunteer there. You signed up to teach bass lessons and be a band coach, whatever that means, you thought. And here we are. Have fun at your first camp. You are about to be transformed. And please remember, you rock. A tall, blonde, 40-something-year-old woman in impeccable shape is on the stage in front of me. She's wearing funky heels and is screaming like a drill sergeant from the stage to a room full of girls, all of them 8 to 16 years old. I'm standing enraptured at the back of the room, ready to do whatever she tells me, along with the other coaches and volunteers. It's 9 a.m., and about 98 degrees indoors. 
We're in a wood-paneled auditorium with tall windows on the second floor of an old building in Jamaica Plain. The walls are hung with dozens of blown-up pictures of legendary female musicians and bands, from Janis Joplin to Beyonce Knowles. I'm tired, but I'm still grinning so wide my mouth feels like it will rip. We're bouncing around to the classic punk track, Teenage Kicks by The Undertones. Our drill sergeant, Hilkin, barks at us to kick, punch, skank, and do whack jacks, a crossover jumping jack thing, to the beat of the music. Her voice and movements are almost comically violent compared to the silly song, but it works. I would work out a lot harder if I could have this lady screaming at me every day, I think. This exercise is Hilkin's creation known as punk rock aerobics. She's the director of the camp. I check out a few of the campers and their reactions to the aerobics. One 13-year-old has her hair pulled into a high bun and wears shorts that are shorter than I have ever dared to put on in my life. She smiles at the antics of the woman on stage but pauses to look at the friends around her to raise her eyebrows and see exactly how she should react to all of this. Another kid, about 14, is in fishnets with holes ripped in them, black combat boots, and has a green streak running through her long black hair. She stares directly and seriously at our leader. This one doesn't miss a beat as she responds to the calls and moves perfectly in time to the music. She and all the others kick, punch, and scream loudly, imitating the leader. There's also the girl with the clip-in pink streak in her hair, dancing goofily and smiling in a mocking way to entertain her friends. Clearly, she's too cool for this. I think about how they're watching something they may not see anywhere else. A grown woman, as old as their own mother possibly, an authority figure, thrashing around like an angry child and making noise and imploring them to do the same. Then I look down next to me at an eight-year-old in a pink skirt and a glittery Hello Kitty shirt. A turquoise bow sits in her curly brown hair. Like the other tiny girls, she's too short to really see the stage and is just kind of slowly turning back and forth. All of them are being themselves, I think, whatever that entails for them. Even if it's just standing stock still, like the girl with purple hair and glasses and the big black pants. I know my 15-year-old self would probably be doing the same thing. It would have taken her time to feel safe, and her defense mechanism would be to act like she was too cool for any of this but she would have eventually lightened up when she realized she was surrounded by kids just like her, girls that wanted to play in bands. Man, that would have been pretty cool. The song ends and Hilkin begins teaching them the doctrines of the camp. scream some of the kids who've been to camp before and know the routine. She repeats it a few more times until they've all got it. And what are we supposed to do? 
Her deep growl rips out of her. Nothing, nothing. Some of them respond, some echoing her growl, some mumbling, and some looking bored. She repeats it louder each time, and most of the campers reciprocate. I scream this one back loud enough for some of the girls to turn around and look at me. I'm sure they see my passion, and I don't care if I look crazy. I know I look crazy. I am crazy about all of this. I want them to be okay with looking crazy too. That's what we're all here for. We don't get to scream even when it feels almost impossible not to, I think. I'm screaming all the screams I kept in me for so long. This is rock camp. If I weren't here in this sweaty old building, I would probably be asleep. I'd get up late enough to have a headache and be mad at myself about it. Probably wander to a coffee shop and try to caffeinate myself into wanting to write, hoping to come up with a project idea for my MFA thesis and just end up two hours later with more journal scribbles about how I can't focus and have nothing to say. I've been sleepwalking through life lately, until right now. (sighs) After the song ends, Hilkin demands of us. Her voice has only gotten louder and more gravelly in the past 30 minutes of screaming. She seems to have an endless well to draw from, and I can understand. I've felt more energy from this hot, sticky morning than I have in a long, long time. I think back to yesterday evening, which already seems so far away. It's the reason I'm already feeling being here so much, even though we're barely even started. At our volunteer orientation, We had gone around one by one in our circle of folding chairs and explained why we were here and what mentoring kids in music means to us. I had felt so intimidated when I first walked into that room full of entirely female-identifying people. The group of people I've never felt good enough for or like I know how to talk to right. But when all the people before me shared their deep, pains of adolescence, stories of bullying and self-hate for looking or feeling different, just for being a girl who liked guitar or skateboarding, or not being straight enough or thin enough, and all the disorders we've ended up with and pain we've inflicted on ourselves, turning the blame and hate inwards because we know our anger and individuality isn't wanted in the world that it just isn't professional enough or feminine enough, and how we want more than anything to not let the next generation ever feel that way. That was when I knew I was actually in the right company. And that's when I cried, for the first time, knowing I could let down my defenses about all the things I've thought were wrong with me. I knew that if I'd been in a group of men... 
I wouldn't have shared my own story or I would have told it very differently in a more jokey, self-deprecating way. Now, watching these kids get ready to scream, I rock, I think about my own answer to the question of why I'm here. I said that when I was an adolescent, I spent most of my time hating myself, never feeling good enough about my playing or any other part of myself, because I just didn't have anyone else who looked like me doing the same thing. I said that if I could help one single teenage girl stop hating herself for five minutes, I would have accomplished the mission I was put on this earth for. I'd feel like I could die. Now, back in this room, I look at a shy middle school-aged girl standing alone, still holding her cartoon lunchbox for some reason. You are incredible, I think at her. At Hilkin's command, the kids all take on a boxing stance, pound their chests, and then throw one or both hands in the air eight times. Their fists are in the devil horn shape. It's not a girly, delicate raise of the hand. This isn't ballet. This is an English class. It's a violent display. Our voices sound like we are out for blood. Many of these girls have never even touched an instrument before, I remember, as I look at them punching the sky. And they're about to be thrown into daily band practices leading up to a concert in which they're gonna perform original music in front of hundreds of people. They'll only have five days to complete this, and it would seem impossible if it weren't for the energy Hilkin is giving them right now. I think with this kind of encouragement that they can believe in themselves enough to rise to the challenge. One of the biggest components of writing music is confidence. Doubt can kill creativity so quickly. I know that more than anyone. As the kids do their eye rocks, my eyes start lubricating again. As I throw my fists upward and join in, letting an eye rock rip itself right out of me, my voice startles me. I always thought I had a weak, quiet voice, but somehow I've found a way to propel it with enough force that some kids turn around and look at me. I can hear myself over everyone else. I realize that I never felt proud of myself when I was their age. I rarely do now, too. I feel as these kids punch and scream, or even just watch the others, that I'm witnessing them receive a beautiful gift. I think the powerful women whose images hang on the wall are staring at us in approval. Joan Jett's eyes smolder at us, telling us we can rock just like her. I need to help these kids feel good, and I know that in order to do that, I have to feel that I rock. And right now I do. I rock. The high school-aged girls look tired. 
I'm feeling a little tired too, standing around the parking lot where we've herded the campers to group them into the bands they're going to be in for the whole week. I'd be even more tired if I weren't so nervous. I sense they might be nervous on the inside, and the bored faces on the outside are there to cover it up. I remember putting on my own intense, I don't give a crap, this is in no way interesting to me face when I was a nervous freshman in high school. I noticed a girl with holes ripped in her black jeans that she's safety pinned up. Another has dyed a section of her long blonde hair bluish green. Another has a floral top and white shorts. I wouldn't be surprised if her mom picked out her outfit for her. It's clear they're still figuring out their own looks. And maybe they're not completely confident in this persona around people they don't know yet. They could be trying out a new look for the first time here. I also noticed that just as they all haven't completely settled into their individual styles, their bodies haven't settled into their adult arrangement either. At first I think, wow, these kids all have really long legs. But maybe with 13-year-olds, their legs are just growing faster than the rest of them. One girl in particular, a bass player, as I can tell by her color-coded blue name tag, has legs so long she reminds me of a spider as she moves around. Soon, I have five girls in front of me. Two of them smile like they know each other. We all look at each other. We all subtly size each other up in that way women always do. It's a natural but learned reaction I wish I could turn off. We automatically try to figure out how intimidated we should be by each other based on judgments of fashion, physical appearance, hairstyle, age, posture, and the most important but invisible quality of confidence. I remember how when I walked into the building yesterday with all the other volunteers, I looked around and saw women who looked like they came directly from a professional job, which made me feel insecure about my messy unwashed hair and tattoos. But then I saw women with about 50 times more tattoos than me looking super hardcore, and I felt my outfit made me look like a boring normie in comparison. I imagined all the different things they could all be thinking about me, all the parts of me they could be judging. And finally, I realized they were all probably doing the same thing to themselves too. And I slipped myself back into mindfulness. Instead of seeing tattoos and thinking, punk badass who thinks I'm lame, I remind myself that you can never know what thoughts another person is having, and I just looked at the tattoos and the clothes and registered the details. Flower, demon, tarot card, skirt. Just observations. No good or bad attachments to any of them. Fuck you social programming that makes women size each other up. My confidence does tend to grow or shrink in an inverse ratio to the confidence of any other person in front of me. If I see a woman who appears cool and confident, like Hilkin, I cannot think of a single damn word to say to her. If I see someone I judge to be on my very own dorky level, or 
even dorkier and nerdier and shyer and less put together than me? I can chat all day. Thinking about this, I wonder if maybe all of my camper band members think each other look really cool because no one is talking. But neither am I. I've been lost in thought five minutes already. I snap back to reality. I know I need to break the ice. This is my band. I am their coach. It's my job, I tell myself. I am the grown-up, and I am the one to help them through this. I know I have a responsibility to them, but I can't help but feel just as insecure. This is a first for me, too. What if they don't like me and think I'm so lame they just don't listen to anything I say? Or what if they don't like each other? How do I deal with that? I'm more intimidated than I thought I would be. What should I say to them, I think? And I just look around and say hi to each one. They're all between 13 and 15. Three of them look like they could be cousins. Or at least, they all have similar button noses and freckles. Another one of my girls is one of the only three or four black campers. She has the straight, graceful posture of a dancer. And she's the most fashionably dressed, in skin-tight black leggings and a funky red top. The fifth girl kind of looks like she could be my daughter. Straight, light brown hair and square jaw dressed in a plain gray t-shirt and shorts that would be a comfortable length for me. I look at them, thinking that they're all so beautiful, like as beings, and I feel this fierce urge to protect them and help them, like it's the most important task I've ever been given. They all glance at each other shyly, but don't talk and I realize the importance of this band-forming exercise. Unfortunately for them, the idea isn't find your best friends based on who you would normally be best friends with. It's more like, we need to all support each other, even if we end up in a band, or a job, or a class, or a team, with people that aren't our natural first pick, no matter how scary it is. After the kids finish forming the bands they'll be in for the week, I go in and downstairs to the base room, or corner. I'm the first one here. A blue work tarp hangs from the ceiling, dividing off a corner of the sweaty main room on the first floor. Inside the tarp are 12 chairs in a circle. Each one is next to a bass amp of varying size, from an 8-inch practice amp to a professional bass rig with a speaker cabinet big enough to play a real club and next to each amp is a bass and a stand. I stand in the middle of the circle of basses. It feels so comfortable to be surrounded by my old four-stringed friends. The excitement of going to a music store and seeing a wall of basses for the first time comes back to me, and I'm pumped for the kids to feel that. Some of the basses are big old clunkers in varying degrees of wear. One has duct tape all over the entire body. Soon, the other bass instructors join me. The three others are all in their early 30s. 
I suddenly feel curious, and I ask them what their day jobs are. I find out we have a history teacher, a theater producer slash sound engineer, and an administrative assistant. I know from meeting them at orientation that they've all taught bass at the camp before, and yet they're all still a little nervous, too. The kids start spilling in, and they each pick out their favorite bass. We go around and help the girls who seem nervous to even pick up the instrument or who haven't figured out how to hold it yet. I look down at the littlest bass player I have ever seen. She's wearing a Hello Kitty shirt and sitting there next to a bass still in its stand and swinging her little feet, which don't even touch the ground. Would you like some help? I ask her. She nods without looking at me. I put the strap around her shoulders and place the small black and silver base that looks like a toy on her lap. Then I help her get her hair out of the way of the strap. I tell her what I'm doing as I plug the base into the practice amp and turn it on for her. She looks back and forth from one of her hands to the other, not sure which one to use to make noise. So I show her where to pluck the string, and I sit there until she does it herself producing her first little tinny bass note. Finally, she looks up at me and raises one corner of her mouth a tiny bit. I feel like I've just changed the world. As soon as everyone's set up, we hand out some tabs and start immediately playing the first song, Lord's Royals. It's pretty slow, so it's a good start. The bass line begins as simply an E played with an open low string with a second in between each beat. Boom, boom, boom. I'm surprised to see one of the tiny girls who couldn't reach around the neck of her bass hitting the string exactly on the beat. She's using her thumb to pluck the string, but it's clear she has rhythm. I look at a middle school aged girl with a lot of freckles and wild curly hair. She's been to camp before and is rolling her eyes to express her boredom. She's working so hard to look over it that she ends up consistently missing the beat. I hope one day she'll get over showing off and understand how enjoyable playing a one-note bass line can actually be when you really feel it. One of the other instructors is holding a bass and demonstrating how to play the song to the group. We have someone's iPod hooked up to a spare guitar amp to play the song. It's kind of distorted and hard to hear the bass line, especially with all the kids playing over it at various tempos. The rest of us clap along to the beat so that everyone can hear it, and we shout out which string and fret number to play. E, open, A, three. When we finish playing Royals once, we play it over again. Two kids get bored and start playing it as loud as possible, plucking their strings by reaching around and underneath the string and snapping it. It makes the sound from the amp distort and I cringe for the sake of the pickups. We were told over and over again in our orientation that we are here to encourage girls to be loud and make space for themselves. So I don't want to tell them to play more quietly but I also wonder if the rule applies to the ones who are drowning out the littler kids who can't hear themselves play at all. I look at the more experienced instructors trying to figure out what to do, but they seem to be ignoring it. 
Across the circle, a little girl looks at her hands and twists up her face with effort, trying to play the right notes at the right time, while the other tiny one next to her just dreamily looks around the room as her fingers just make up their own little kid rhythm on the bass. Even if they aren't all playing the right thing at the right time, the sound of 12 basses playing together is immense. It's one of the most beautiful sounds I've ever heard. I can feel it as much as hear it. The rumble hits me right in my gut. Seeing all these kids playing together, playing bass together, makes me feel like I could cry again. This is such an unusual sound. In my years of playing bass, I've rarely ever heard bassists play together. I think back to falling in love with the instrument for the first time when I was young. How I was so drawn to how I just could feel it in my body more than any other instrument. We asked all the campers why they chose to play bass, and the answer, I think it's cool, was the most common one. Hey, I can't disagree. I'm standing in the hallway with my band coaching partner, Danny, looking at the paper on the wall that tells us which room our band will be in. But I'm also looking at her. She's a few years younger than me. I think she's 21. She's an art student with super fair skin and dark hair. She speaks quietly and not that often, but I can tell from the facial expressions she throws my way that she has a good sense of humor. Thank God, because we have to work together through this. And I have no idea what's coming. We were told in orientation that we aren't here to just be music teachers. We're mentors, friends, cheerleaders, and whatever else we need to be for our band. Our kids walk up to us, and I realize I still don't know any of the names of the band members. So I decide we should do some icebreaking. I motion for everyone to follow me outside, and we all stand around a circular wooden picnic table. I think quickly about how to do this and hand out some blank paper to the band. Okay, I say to them, write your name down and answer the following questions on your paper. Where are you from? What are your favorite bands or musicians? And what do you think your friends like about you? I give them a minute. I see scrunched noses as they work on the last question. I tell them to hand their paper to the person on their left and then that that person will read their answers for them. I imagined it going like this. Hi, I'm blank from blank and I listen to blank. My friends like me because I'm blank. But it doesn't really work. The guitarist, Tanya, reads first. Annie, Boston, I don't know, I don't know. At first, I'm confused because of how differently I had imagined this going until I realized Tanya is reading Annie's answers straight. Her answer to both who her favorite musician is and what her friends like about her is, I don't know. I look over at Annie as she raises one corner of her mouth and her cheeks turn pink. 
I immediately feel a connection to her as a shy kid. I wouldn't have liked this either. Man, maybe my idea was totally dumb. I don't know what I'm doing here. I don't know what to do with kids. I try to be extra supportive, feeling really bad about making them do this for me. Okay, great. You don't have to know. Maybe you'll figure it out. My sneaky, I thought, move was to use the question about why your friends like you to make them think positively about themselves, even if it's goofy, since I do now have the authority to do stuff like that. I get it that Annie didn't want to answer. And as the others go around the table, I realize most answered in a totally silly way. The keyboard player Sarah wrote, My friends like me because I do embarrassing stuff in public. I suddenly remember where I got this exercise. Middle school health class. I hated that teacher and thought everything she did was so cheesy and would never make me like myself. And yet here I am spewing out the same forced self-confidence exercise. Okay, lesson one. You cannot make teenagers like themselves, I think. Another volunteer pokes her head into the room and tells us, Band names are due soon. Try and get them done today. I look around the table with a raised eyebrow. They all stare blankly back at me. Any ideas? I ask. A minute goes by. I don't know, says Tanya. Really? Nothing? No. That's the name, she says. I don't know. Oh, great. Do we like that? I look around at the rest of them. Everyone seems to be smiling and nodding. The bass player says we can write it as IDK. I'm happy with this, even though only one of them offered a name idea. It's clear Tanya came up with it from Annie's answers. It was a subtle way of saying she listened to her. So, I like that a lot. I tell them IDK is cool because it's cryptic. Let's just write the letters on the paper, and no one will know what it means. Ooh. The bass player, Marie, reminds me that everyone knows what IDK means. Well, everyone her age, at least. Guess I'm officially old now. I hope our first band practice goes just as smoothly. I'm trying to figure out how to turn up the volume on the PA. Gemma is sitting at the drum kit and takes out the stick she has in her backpack. And the keyboard player, Sarah, randomly hits keys on the keyboard. Everyone shudders because the keyboard was left at full volume and I just got the PA to turn on. I go out of the room with a guitarist to grab a guitar from the array sitting upright in stands and she picks a white Stratocaster with an orangey-brown pickguard. The bass player has brought her own bass, a small red SG shape. I remember how I always wanted one that looked just like that when I was a kid. SGs always remind me of School of Rock. I bend over to help her with the bass amp, showing her how to balance the gain and the volume knobs so that the sound is loud enough but not distorted. When everything's set up, I feel a panic start rising up in me. Okay, how do you write a song when no one knows how to play anything? 
and you can't really step in and do it for them or show them stuff. Since the girls have had their instrument lessons that day, I figure we can start there. Maybe we can just jam a little to get it going. I ask our drummer, Gemma, to start. So how about you just play whatever beat you learned in your lesson today? I don't know any beats. We just played along to a song. Oh yeah, I think. Like the bass players, the drummers had also played along to Royals, which has a very slow, subtle kind of beat. It's more just hitting drums here and there. Not much of a rhythm for the others to jam over. But we'll figure something out, I think. Okay, okay, I say. Just, you know, try to play some kind of a rhythm, whatever you feel like. Don't worry about it. Nothing is set in stone yet. We have plenty of time. We just all need to make some noise together. That felt like a lie, but whatever it takes. Gemma takes a second and then says, Oh, I don't know how. I take a deep breath. Yeah, sorry. Um, okay, just hit the drums, like, in a pattern? Or just randomly? I get a blank stare. Not sure if it's just shyness, which I totally feel bad about, but still have no idea what to do. The keyboardist Sarah wants to help. Luckily, they're friends already. I think they must go to school together or something. They seem kind of close. Sarah runs over and takes the sticks out of Gemma's hands and shows her a beat. But when she gets up, Gemma still just sits there unmoving. Sarah tries to be encouraging. You can play something, anything. Just hit the drums. I feel bad putting the drummer on the spot like this, but we need someone to just start making noise so we can build from there. And I thought drums would be the easiest. I tell her it's cool. She can relax and think about it, and we can just try to start with someone else. So I ask the guitarist, So what chords did you learn today? Uh, A, she says. She looks down and starts fingering something that looks like a D minor chord. It sounds like a horror movie, but I don't want to discourage anyone or correct her in front of the others since she seems pretty timid about playing. So I tell her, great, and move on to Sarah, hoping she can play along on the keyboard. So what chords did you learn today in keys? G, I think she says. She plays a G minor, and her nose twitches, indicating she knows it's not exactly right. It's close, but would sound a lot better if the third wasn't flatted. I don't say that out loud, of course. She seems to be a pretty outgoing, confident, silly kid who's eager to learn. So I ask if she wants help with it, and she says, yep. I quickly point to the right key, and she says, oh yeah, thanks. So, at this point, I recap in my mind. I've got a keyboard player who only knows a G, a guitar player who only sort of knows an A, a drummer who doesn't want to play anything. Hmm. I'm thinking maybe the instrument instructors should have all worked together to set something up to make band practice easier. But we have to work with what we got. I wonder if the singer can help. 
I think back to the songwriting workshop they put on for us at lunch. The teacher was this nice woman, Linda, who explained songwriting to the kids. And I actually learned a lot myself. She made songwriting seem so approachable. It was the opposite mindset that I had about it previously. As being some mysterious talent, I thought I just didn't have the right stuff to do and always had to pass off to the boys in my high school band. But a song can be anything you want it to. Linda had full confidence these kids could write a song, and I still do, too. I try to remember how she started. It was with a theme and some key words to turn into lyrics. In the session, our guitar player Tanya had volunteered the theme of kids dealing with depression in high school, and it had made Linda tear up and talk about her own daughter. The kids seemed enraptured by her talk and inspired to write their own songs. I wonder what Annie is thinking, so I ask her. Do you have any ideas for melodies or words or general themes or feelings for the song? Maybe if you have something, we can just work around that. Like how we did it in the workshop today? Did you write anything down? I don't know. It's delivered sharp and quick, as if I had asked something really personal. I feel a little taken aback. She's clearly the most timid of all, blushing as she answers. I don't want to put her into a defensive state, remembering how easily I could end up that way at that age. Okay, no worries. We just started, and I just want to make sure that if anyone has an idea, they're able to have it heard by everybody else. I take a slow breath and think, God, I really don't want to put any of them on the spot. But we have to start somewhere, and I know I'll have to lead it somehow. My attempt at unstructured jam time had just turned into them trying each other's instruments and comparing how hard the tests are at each of their respective high schools. As I stand there feeling stuck, the bass player looks up at me with an uh uh-oh face. She's been sitting and watching this whole thing, and I try to confidently smile back at her. I'm not sure if starting with her can work, since the keys and guitar only know certain chords, so she's kind of beholden to playing those notes. But if she has something in mind, of course I'd love to let her lead. I ask if she has anything she wants to try out on the bass, but she quickly shakes her head. I'm not surprised. I don't want to jump in too much here. I'm starting to feel desperate for this to happen organically but they're all looking at me with the tell-us-what-to-do face. I take in a deep breath and imagine the five of them on stage with 200 people looking at them, expecting to hear a song. A song that's been fully written and rehearsed a couple times. I've still never written a song front to back myself. All I know is, A, I think I just spent the longest period of my life ever without worrying about my own personal problems. And B, we're going to have to take some risks. Dear Young Rocker, you're doing great. I know the last thing you want to do is pass on your own musical insecurity to your young band, and I promise you won't. 
since you're kind of becoming me at this point and you're reflecting as you go along, I don't need to say as much in these last few letters to you, but I'll still be here. I'm glad you had that realization after the orientation about how your insecurity regarding your appearance is tied up with your insecurity in being around women. It's something I'm still untangling. This simultaneous feeling of having absolutely no desire to appease anybody's idea of what a woman should look like and an outright aversion to things like pocketbooks and skirts, but still feeling painfully self-conscious, guilty even, at the thought of a put-together lady seeing me walking around with unshaven legs or wearing an unflattering outfit. It's the feeling of the popular girl in high school in her Abercrombie jeans walking by you in your men's camo pants. You don't want to be her, You don't think she looks cool. You don't want to look like her or dress like her. But for some reason, you still can't deal with the feeling of her looking at you. You just want to say, hey, lady, I could totally look just like you if I wanted. I bet I could do it even better. I just don't want to. Why is that feeling still in you? Who knows? I could reach into my brain and just scrub out certain parts, that would be one of the first ones. But more importantly is you have a chance to help this younger generation not develop that. With their constant barrage of photoshopped social media influencers, you wonder if they have even less of a chance of escaping it though. The answer, as you know, is that all you can do is help them build up that core that will support them in fighting back against it and feeling secure in themselves. And you're learning quickly, you can't do it for them. You can only model it and hope they catch on. And that's as good impetus as any to change yourself. You can't try to figure out how to have self-esteem anymore. You need to just do it and be a role model. Next time on Dear Young Rocker, Chelsea's young band gets ready for their first performance. Dear Young Rocker comes to you from Double Elvis Productions and is executive produced by Jake Brennan of Disgraceland. The show was written and created by me, Chelsea Erson. I also wrote the theme song, I record and edit the episodes, and I create many of the musical pieces and sound effects you hear in the show. The other half of our two-person production team is Colin Fleming, who provides more sound design and music and also mixes the episodes. I would also love if you would join me on Instagram at Dear Young Rocker and follow Double Elvis too. I also have Facebook and Twitter, and I just really love hearing stories and seeing pictures of your own awkward young rocker beginnings. So please dig up an old picture and tag me, and I will definitely reshare it. And please, please share this story with anyone, anyone who has a young rocker in their life who you think 
could be touched by this because that's the whole point. And write a review on Apple Podcasts if you like the show because that goes far toward the goal of helping kids feel less alone too. Thank you. Dear Young Rocker is a production of iHeartRadio and Double Elvis Productions. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.